Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's your host, Jared Feinberg. Alongside me is Devin Jackson, and we are your hosts for today's episode. Devin, we're back after a week break. I had to deal with homework, schoolwork, and whatnot all week last week. It was a pain in my ass, but, you know, that's just part of life right now for me, um, being in college and whatnot. But, Devin, we're back. We're finally back to, you know, talk about the Super Bowl. That was two weeks ago, and also some draft prospects we've watched over the last week or so. So, Devin, how have you been, my man? I've been doing pretty good, man. Just, uh, you know, grinding the film, trying to get, you know, scouting reports and whatnot finished, and, uh, you know, just trying to get as much players done as I can. I think I'm in the 40s right now in terms of uh, scouting reports finish at this point. Um, so just trying to keep up and, and trying to, you know, get players done and make sure I try to at least watch, you know, around 250, 300 prospects uh, to kind of get a baseline for this draft class. But luckily for me, since I watch a ton of football, I've seen a lot of these guys and kind of know what they can do. But, you know, other than that, man, doing pretty good. Just, you know, dealing with some winter weather, of course. You know, it, it was freezing, raining last night and sleeting and whatnot. But. Looks like the rows are decent today, which is very unusual. Usually when something happens, we can't even go anywhere the next day until it starts to melt. Um, but finally the snow is starting to melt from like three weeks ago and, you know, just, you know, taking things day by day, man. You know, I thought I, speaking of winter weather, you know, I, I would think Texas would be, would have been more prepared for a winter storm, but you know, they they don't even know how to drive in winter weather, <laughs> so I mean, shoo, that they are in the apocalypse right now for their state. You know, like the whole state is smothered with snow, ice, and the videos that have come out, like that I've seen on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram, like it's hilarious and just downright funny, man. I mean. And look, uh, I'm praying for everyone in Texas. You know, I have family in Texas, in Austin, Texas, um, that are dealing with this. They don't have any water. Um, roads are super icy. They can't really go anywhere. Um, and so, you know, I'm praying for everyone that um, doesn't have uh, water going through their house right now because the pipes are frozen. Um, you know, hoping for the best for you guys and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this can get resolved very soon. Um, I know um, one of our um, draft colleagues um, from Pro Football Network, AJ Schultz, he, he lives in Texas, and he, he's dealing with the same thing right now. So I'm praying for him, praying for his safety, um, praying for everyone's safety in Texas right now. And we all know about the massive um, car pileup um, near Dallas. Um, I think last week it was in um, that 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 was that was scary to see. Um, and knowing that, um, you know, my dad's in law enforcement and whatnot, you know, it just just imagining the paperwork for those troopers and like them risking their lives out there um, to help those in need on the highways, even during that huge pileup, you know, that that's, that that I, I feel for them. I, I really do. Um, so that's that. So let's go ahead and get to the Super Bowl. That's something we were supposed to get on 
last Tuesday and last Wednesday, but of course I couldn't really do a podcast last week because I was overrun with homework. But this week we're finally going to discuss the Super Bowl. My thoughts of this are number one, Patrick Mahomes, despite the box score showing he wasn't very impressive, he he was pretty damn impressive in that game. I mean there were there were throws that should have been completed and he made throws that were incomplete that looked like just absurd, like something that I don't think any other quarterback could make, any throw a quarterback could make. You were seeing Mahomes falling down and just throwing a sidearm 30 yards downfield. I'm like, how is that possible? How is that possible? And just watching that, this pat or watching that on that Sunday night, I was like, you got to be kidding me. If this dude had Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher playing in that game, it's a totally different result. Totally different result. Um, probably Tampa Bay ends up winning still, but probably being a more closer score than it was. Probably a high scoring game, honestly. Um, you know, it could have been like my Super Bowl prediction. It was Chiefs 35, Bucks 32. It could have been flipped, Bucks 35, Chiefs 32. You know, it could have been like that. Another thing from that game, Tom Brady's the GOAT. Unquestioned, the GOAT. Best player of all time in the NFL. Like, there's seven rings, man, and ten Super Bowls. That's that's unbelievable. The success he has had throughout his career is something that I don't think will ever be matched again unless Patrick Mahomes ends up doing that exact same thing, which quite honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if it does happen. But just the success of Tom Brady going from the Patriots to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, helping them get to the Super Bowl and winning it a year after they had Jameis Winston at quarterback who threw 30 interceptions and a team that was seven and nine. With all that talent, you go you go from Winston to Brady, add a couple playmakers like Gronk, whew, and also Antoine Winfield, dude's a baller. That speaking of that defense, Topple should have been the game MVP. I mean, that was an excellent performance by that defense. If they allowed coaches to get game MVP, Topple should have gotten it. That, that was an excellent game he called. He is going to be back um, in a couple of years, I would believe, as an NFL head coach. I don't know where he would be, but there were, there were rumors that Bowles was, you know, there was a chance he could be in head coaching interviews this, um, this time around. But, you know, I don't think he really did get interviewed for a job. But I guarantee you, after 2021, he will for sure – Get a gig somewhere. I, I I have no doubts about that. And and another thing from the Super Bowl, it is important that you have a good offensive line. It is important that you also have a good pass rush, a good defense overall. Those things matter when you get to the Super Bowl. You don't have that, you're screwed. You're simple as that. And this game. The way it turned out, it, it reminded me a little bit of Super Bowl 50 with Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers. That 
electrifying offense. Cam Newton having that historic great year that he had. Yeah, I think including the postseason, I think he had 50 total touchdowns. Like, if I remember correctly, um, for the season overall, 45 total touchdowns. Then he adds another five or six more in the postseason. Had a great year. And then fell apart in the Super Bowl because he didn't have the offensive line. His his weapons weren't that great, except for Greg Olson and the defense. And Broncos defense was absolutely tremendous. And Von Miller just dominated that game. So that that game kind of reminded me a little bit of Super Bowl 50 and just how it turned out, how the game went. Um, and, you know, the scary thing about Tim about Tampa Bay winning the Super Bowl is that they may, they may very well win the Super Bowl again next year because Brady's not going anywhere. He's not going to retire anytime soon. He's playing his best football at, I don't know, 43 years old. Like, he should be retired at this point. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It's it just, but also you got to appreciate the greatness. I know some are just, Sick and tired of the greatness of Tom Brady. You know, they're just ready for him to retire. Just having Tom Brady in front of your eyes, in in your lifetime, seeing this success in your lifetime is something that you should never forget. And that this is something I'll never forget. Tom Brady's been dominating ever since I started watching football and ever since I was born. You know, 2001 was when the Patriots started their dynasty. And Tom Brady started his success. That was the year I was born. I was born May 16th. 2001 was the season that the New England Patriots became the dynasty of the 21st century as of this moment. So it's he's been dominating my entire lifetime. And, you know, for a lot of fans, it's going to be a great day when he retires. For others, it's going to be a sad day that legend moves on and then passes the torch to someone else. So, you know, I'm happy for Tom Brady getting his seventh um, Lombardi trophy, his seventh ring. Um, no one – he has more rings than any NFL team in NFL history, which is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. The greatest and most successful player in NFL history, Tom Brady, the GOAT. 38-6, to the final for Super Bowl 55. Um, I know you got your thoughts. Take it away, Devin. Yeah, I was, you know, very surprised at the outcome, but at the same time, uh, not that surprised, you know, considering the circumstances with the Chiefs, you know, missing the top two tackles. Obviously, that was a problem, but the Chiefs, you know, receivers and tight ends really didn't help Mahomes, man. You know, drop passes, uh, I would assume missed assignments, you know, just in general, a lot of, you know, mistakes were made by them, you know. And I know, you know, Mahomes ended up running around a lot and whatnot, but, you know, there were times that I felt like he was pressing, obviously, because you have, you know, ten, you know, uh, Tom Brady on the other sideline and they're going down the scoring at will. So he was pressing a little bit, I would say. And, you know, that definitely just caused the game to unravel for them. But he's not to fault really for the performance. I mean, he did everything he could considering the circumstances and how well Tampa Bay's defense was we're playing, you know, being physical at the line of scrimmage with receivers, uh, their pass rush, uh, Shaq Barrett, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, Vite, the defensive line, just in general, 
uh, you know, had a really good game for Tampa. But, you know, I, I definitely want to give more credit to Tampa than, you know, really downing the Chiefs. They had a really good game plan coming in. You know, they were wanting to run the ball uh, offensively. Leonard Fournette had a fantastic game um, for the Buccaneers, you know, running the ball all, all over the place. Gronk turned back the clock uh, in, and had kind of a signature game that we were used to seeing from him. Uh, and just everything about the Bucks that night, they could do no wrong. You know, they had a great game, game plan, came out fired up. Tom Brady was leading the offense down the field with ease. Um, the defense was just ferocious, you know, and you got to give a lot of credit to the Bucks and, and what they were able to do. And like you said, the scary part is that they have a lot of their roster intact for next year. And it looked like this year, once they went seven and five, that they may miss the playoffs, that they barely would sneak in, but they were able to turn things around and really haven't, I don't think they lost a game after they lost that last game. Uh, I can't remember who it was too. I think it was the Chiefs or, it Maybe was the Chiefs. It, it, so, was, it, it was to the Chiefs and Tampa Bay. Yeah, so really since that game, they've turned a page and have been a dominant team. So I, I can't fault the fact that, you know, they really came together when they needed to. You know, they always say the hottest teams going into the playoffs are the most dangerous, and they were definitely that team. You know, they did it without having Devin White in the first, you know, playoff game. Uh, didn't have think they didn't have Antoine Winfield for the NFC championship, if I'm not mistaken, or one of the playoff games, but got to give a lot of credit to what they, what they did, especially defensively and, and just controlling the game. You know, they kept the Chiefs offense off the field, got them into three and out situations, got them to third and long, uh, third and predictable, uh, so to speak. And they just dominated the game from start to finish from the trenches to, how they were playing physical on the outside, you know, against some of their speedy receivers, bracketing Tyreek Hill um, and enforcing other players to beat them. You know, it, it just was a flawless uh, game plan. For me, I'm surprised that the Chiefs didn't use Clyde Edwards Alaire a little bit more uh, in terms of in the, in the passing game. I think that could have helped kind of mitigate some of that pressure and, you know, take the pressure off of those receivers to make plays constantly. Uh, Travis Kelsey was really the only person that got anything going in that game. And even half of his catches came really when the game was already decided. So, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to the Bucks. Uh, Mahomes is not the fault at all in, in terms of the performance and, and kind of what, what went down in that game. Uh, but at the same time, that offense just didn't click. And they chose the worst game of the year to do so. I mean, they went 14-2 and two in a regular season. Uh, and they look completely unbeatable. You know, they, you know, pretty much did whatever they wanted against the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship. But you got to give the Bucks a ton of credit for not only shutting them down, but didn't allow a touchdown. So that's the most impressive part for me that you kept Kansas City out of the end zone, even in garbage time, even when you knew you were going to win the game. They still held them off the board. Uh, and yeah, like you said, Tom Brady is the unquestioned goat. You know, there's, Really no debate at this point. You know, he, he's not the most physically gifted quarterback. He's not, you know, doesn't have the best traits, but he's just a winner. You know, he'll go out and do what needs to be done. And for him to do this at this age uh, is just extraordinary. So, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. I know people don't like Tom Brady. Uh, they hate to see him continue to win. But he showed that he doesn't need Bill Belichick to win championships. You know, he can do it on his own. Uh, on his own accord, you know, they 
brought in a ton of players that, you know, a lot of veteran players that looked like they were on the outs of their career. And, and now they kind of revived it. You got Antonio Brown, who's probably going to get picked up by a team. If he doesn't go get picked up by the Bucks, uh, Leonard Fournette potentially could be back with the Bucks next year or uh, get a, a decent contract free agency. So a lot of guys did well for themselves uh, in Don Kinsu, uh, he did well for himself uh, as well in the Super Bowl. So the Bucks are, are set up for success right now. Obviously, they got some question marks heading into next year. Uh, you guys see what they're going to do with Chris Godwin. I think that's probably one of their more premier free agents, Shaq Barrett as well. Uh, they got a couple questions to a- uh, answer with that. But in terms of just the team makeup, I mean, they could lose those guys and still be Super Bowl contenders next year. So they got a solid offensive line. Uh, shout out to Tristan Wirfs. Uh, always will be OT1 for me. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens next year, but they're definitely, they definitely should be in the conversation of, and, and favorites to go back to back next year. Absolutely. Like Tampa Bay, like they're set up to win. They have a pretty decent Super Bowl window, but I think as Tom Brady gets, as Tom Brady's getting closer to 45, which is where he said, that's where I'm targeting to retire after. Once I turn 45, I'm done, supposedly. So you got to think about, okay, who who's the future at quarterback for Tampa Bay? Right, right now, I don't think they really need to worry about it as Tom Brady doesn't look like he's declining in, of any sorts. Like his game is not going anywhere. Like, it's just been steady, consistent, elite football. Tampa Bay, offensively, they have the offensive linemen in place. You got the guys up front to protect the quarterback. You're good. You're set. You got the receivers. You're set there. You got Ronald Jones, who's become a really good running back. You got him. You got your running back. On defense, you got Devin White, who's going to be – the face of that defense for years to come. You got Carlton Davis, who's going to be an elite corner, or maybe already is an elite corner. Uh, you got Antoine Winfield, who's going to be one of the star safeties in the NFL in over the next few years and throughout his career. You know, they have they're young on defense. They have great talent on defense. They can. If they can keep that talent together, they can keep all that core, all those core pieces together. They're going to be threats in the NFC for years to come. But now you got to think about okay, who will challenge them in the NFC? Who will challenge them in their own division? You know, I don't think Atlanta is going to be really challenging anyone for the next several years. As you know, next year could be the last year of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones in Atlanta. Um, and also you got to think about what's going to happen with New Orleans. New Orleans could end up having a rebuild of sorts because they're not looking good in terms of cap situation, even though Drew Brees um, was able to give up a good amount of his money to help with the salary cap as well as releasing Nick Easton. Um, you know, so the Saints aren't really in a good place right now in terms of, their Super Bowl, Super Bowl window has closed, in my opinion. So I think it's think you'll see maybe in the next year or so this team will be in a rebuild, um, or maybe even as soon as this season or this upcoming season. Then you got Carolina in your own division. 
they're trending upwards in terms of, okay, they have, they're starting to get more core pieces. Now they just need that quarterback. They just need that one guy to help them get them over the top in those late game situations where Carolina was in so many times this past season and they definitely could have won more games, more games than they did last season. They, there is, there was a good chance they could have won double the wins they had last season. They could have won 10 games if they were able to complete a lot of their game winning drives, their final drives of the game. Um, but you know, I, I, I think Tampa Bay for right now, they're going to be running the NFC South for a bit, but I do have a prediction for the 2021 season, which I'll get to in a minute, but there were a few predictions, um, to say that, but, um, you know, Tampa Bay will be a threat in the NFC for years to come, as long as Tom Brady's the quarterback, and as long as they get a quarterback for the future to at least either develop or sit behind Brady until he retires. You know, I will say this is kind of a bold prediction for the NFL draft, but I would say that I wouldn't be surprised if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers try to trade up for a quarterback. Not, not into the top 10, but if someone like Mac Jones was still available, you know, maybe him, maybe draft him in the first round. I doubt that's going to happen. I don't see it happening, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if it happened because they need to think about Brady's future. They need to think about the team's future. So that's something um, to pay attention at. For, um, not, even, not only next season, for the next few seasons, as Tampa Bay's dominating the NFC possibly for the next several years, um, but also in the NFC, got to deal with the Packers as long as Aaron Rodgers is still there. Um, you got to deal with the 49ers. Once they get a consistent quarterback and they're healthy, that's going to be a team to reckon with for years to come as well. They have a tremendous amount of talent. Um, Trying to think anyone in you know, if Dak ends up coming back to Dallas, Dallas is probably going to be a contender for years to come. Washington, if they can get a quarterback, if they can get someone that is consistent and can really move the ball downfield and help them win games, they have the talent to one day be uh, serious contenders in the NFC. So those are your, those are currently your teams right now in the NFC. Um, that will be contending for a Super Bowl. Another team I will mention, just thought of it, thought of it right now, is the Los Angeles Rams. They did trade for Matthew Stafford. He's now the starting quarterback over there. That's going to be a team to reckon with as well. You get a quarterback like Stafford and Sean McVay's offense, that that's going to be a fun offense to watch next season and a fun team to watch overall because Stafford is a big upgrade over Jared Goff. So that will be very – that will be interesting to see, like, how the NFC will really turn out. I think we have an idea of who the top teams are. Who are going to be the surprise teams? That's going to be the question. I think I, I got a prediction for that here in just a moment. So let me give – let me go ahead and give my er, way too early 2021 predictions. First off, Super Bowl 56, the Los Angeles Rams versus the Buffalo Bills. That's my way too early prediction. Deshaun Watson will be on a new team come week one. That's my other prediction. I don't know who it will be for. Will it be for the Jets? Will it be for the Dolphins? Could it be for the 49ers? Could it 
Could it be for the Colts? Who knows? Who knows? The Patriots return to the playoffs next season with Cam Newton back at the helm with better weapons, a more consistent offense, a a go-to guy at tight end to go to get big plays on on, on teams. Dak returns to Dallas on a long-term deal. Of course, probably after getting the franchise tag, Cowboys are back in the playoffs and they make, they face the Rams in the NFC Championship. And the Carolina Panthers with a rookie quarterback win the NFC South over Tampa Bay. I know. I I see your look. I know you're like, I don't know, man. But here's the thing. I feel like if Carolina had a quarterback that could drive the ball downfield and you just know he has that it factor, Carolina could have won a lot more games last season. I just and I said that a moment ago. If they can get someone like if they can trade up or even land someone like Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, hey, if if Trey Lance shows great improvement during the offseason and ends up beating Teddy Bridgewater out for the starting job, or at least starts later on in the season, I think Carolina has a shot. You know, they're a competitive football team. We saw that last season. They came close to winning a Quite a few football games. I think they lost eight games by seven or eight points or less. That that shows that Carolina was basically in every game except for a few games. Like, I think they lost big to New Orleans. Um, they got swept by Tampa Bay and two um, blowout losses there. Try and think of a couple other games. Those are the only two other – those are the only three other games I could think of, but – you know, Carolina's a very competitive football team, man. I'm just like, if they can get, if they can bring back Taylor Moton, bring a couple serviceable offensive linemen to really hold up that offensive line um, for at least one more year, bring back some of the guys that were playing um, this past season. Um, you know, it's just a gut feeling, man. Like, it, it's not really, okay, I might be a little biased here. You know, you know this. I'm probably a little biased here, but, you know, I just feel like this team with a good quarterback, with a quarterback that can drive the ball downfield with good, good arm talent, can make plays out of structure with his, with his athleticism and mobility, they that quarterback can be the difference in quite a few games next year. Now, probably the more likely outcome is that Carolina improves by three games at least. The best is definitely winning the NFC South. But I don't but that that's probably their ceiling next season if everything goes right in the offseason. But overall, I think from my unbiased perspective, okay, they're probably in a five hundred team next season, at least. So or their worst is probably back to being a 5-11 team if Teddy Bridgewater is starting at quarterback. But they'd at least be improved. But anyways, those are my predictions for um, the 2021 season, the early ones at that. I'll stop rambling on. Devin, I know you got some predictions off the top of your head. What do you got? Yeah, for me, um, I do think Carolina has a chance to be a wild card team. Uh, especially with the seven game format now or seven team format now for the playoffs. Um, 
for each conference. So I think they do get in the playoffs. Um, just based on, I think their defense is kind of going to be like top 10, top 15 next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're going to take a step next year and, and be really, really solid. And, you know, if they make a few more acquisitions, I say like corner and, and some, some depth pieces, they could be really good next year. Um, so I, I could see them being in the playoffs. <clears throat> now, in terms of like Super Bowl predictions, I don't have anything yet in, in terms of the top of my head, but I do think that the 49ers get back into the playoffs next year. Uh, I think they're uh, going to be a good football team again. And I think they really push the Rams to win, potentially win the division. Uh, I just like how well the 49ers are set up. I know they lost uh, Robert Sala and some other guys on that staff as well, but uh, they shown that they can beat teams even with, you know, tier three, tier four quarterbacks, you know, and, and they, they run like a well-oiled machine, especially offensively. Defensively, they had like half the amount of players back. They would, they could have pushed for a playoff spot this year. And, you know, it <clears throat> just goes to show you they're, they're so well coached and so versatile. So, I would say I, I'm going to just say I think 49ers win NFC West next year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, honestly. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna take a shot at the dark and assuming that they draft the quarterback uh, and everything like that, that will be kind of what my prediction is contingent on. I assume they're going to draft the quarterback and trade up for one, um, but we'll see what happens with that. But I think they they win NFC West next year. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Um, I really don't feel anything, any confidence in seeing any Saints takes at this point because I have no clues of going to be quarterback. <laughs> I, I know they're still going to be a solid team, but the quarterback position is going to be really up in the air. So I, I don't want to take a shot in the dark uh, on the Saints at this time. Um, I think the Dolphins miss the playoffs again next year. Um, and I, I just think it's because the other teams in that division are going to get much better. So I think they potentially split with the Jets. Uh, I think the Patriots are going to get back to their winning ways. And I think the Bills are definitely the, the cream of the crop in that in that division right now. So I think the Dolphins missed the playoffs again. I'm sorry, Dante Colinelli and all the, Dolph- the Dolphins fans out there, but I, I just don't see it with them just yet. Um, but I think I do think they'll. Congratulations. You just pissed off all of Dolphins Twitter. Oh, well. <laughs> It it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I think that's kind of where I'm at. And I, and the Browns win AFC North. That's all. That's all I got. Yeah, I I, I like that prediction. Um, you know, the Browns could. I, I definitely see the Browns improving defensively. Um, I think they did let go of um, Robert uh, of their defense coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if they didn't, then that's a huge mistake, and they're not going to be a good defense again next year. Even though they even improve on in defensive talent, they it was just a bad, bad defense. They were dealing with injuries. They didn't have Denzel Ward for quite a few games throughout the season. Um, but yeah, I think the Browns are going to be back in the playoffs next year. They're going, they're definitely going to be one of the serious contenders in the AFC. Um, and that's not just a prediction that I. You, everyone knows that the Browns are going to be serious contenders for several years to come. Uh, Baker Mayfield's been getting better. Um, I don't think it's just because of the offense. I think he's just getting more confident as a quarterback, throwing the football, really trusting his reads. Um, yeah, and, and sure, they, sure, 
the Browns run a lot of play action, but they also run a lot of uh, full field um, full field concepts, you know. So Baker Mayfield, he has shown that he can be that team's quarterback for years to come. And that's why he was selected number one overall. So, you know, I, I'm excited for the Browns' future. I'll def- if Carolina's not in the playoffs next year, but the Browns are definitely are, I'm definitely going to be pulling for the Browns to get to the Super Bowl um, in the playoffs uh, next year, assuming they make it and assuming that they bring back mostly everyone. And, you know, there's, there's also question marks about whether or not OBJ is going to be back. Will... Is, has he played his last snaps for the Browns? You know, I don't think that's been discussed very much, and I think it should be because Beckham is still a very, very good wide receiver. Um, but you could tell that the Browns' offense is just a lot, seems to be a lot better without Beckham. I, I don't know if that's just a chemistry issue or that's like they're trying to force feed him, or it, I just don't know. It just seems like all of a sudden when Beckham got hurt, Browns offense flipped the switch, and we saw that when he got hurt in that Bengals game um, where Baker Mayfield threw five touchdowns. I don't think he threw another incompletion, you know. So he, you know, his future is in doubt in Cleveland, and, you know, I'd like to see him traded to another good football team that will involve him in the passing game. Um, let's not forget he was one of the more he was probably one of the best receivers in the game a few years ago with the Giants. Um, I still think he can be one of the best receivers in the game um, with a good quarterback, with um, getting more targets in the passing game. But you know his again his futures in down Cleveland, blah blah blah, whatever. All right, I got some thoughts on Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. I've gone through their tape. Done their evaluations. You know what my thoughts are, Devin, already on them. Um, but for the folks that don't know, here's why. Here's where I am on both Wilson and Fields. So let me start with Wilson. He has the tools and traits to be a very successful quarterback. He has surprisingly very accurate. Ta- he's surprisingly very accurate on tape, um, and he showed great touch and placement on his throws from the tape I've watched. Um, his throwing mechanics are like they're really good. Um, he can throw from many different platforms or off many different platforms and arm angles. He can throw a sidearm um, with great velocity. He can throw a crossbody. I mean, he can make almost every throw um, from any different platform. Um, he does a nice job scanning the field. I think that was one of the things I was looking to see was. Can't, does he do, do a good job with his progressions, reading the full field? He does a pretty good job with it from what I saw. Um, there were some plays that he he tried to make big plays with his arm, uh, having too much confidence with his arm. And I think that's just a young player like thinking, oh, I can make every throw. He can make every throw. I don't have any doubts about that. But there were some plays where it was like, ooh, yikes. Like, I don't like that throw. That that was really risky, and that wasn't smart. But, you know, overall, he does a good job taking what's in front of him. And, like, I saw a couple times where he he would move through his progressions and nothing was open, and the check down was, uh, if the check down was somewhat open, 
he was going to go to the check down. I mean, he did a good job there. Um, he needs work in terms of pocket awareness. He'll get flustered at times, even in a clean pocket, and he'll scramble from a clean pocket. Um, and, you know, there are, there also needs to be work with his lower half mechanics. You know, his base can get a little too wide at times, and in some in- instances that has caused him to underthrow some passes, um, even though he's, you know, some receivers are having to come back to the football and make the catch. But, you know, when his, when his base is good, his feet are good, you know, he, he can throw beautiful footballs. And, like, I saw that plenty of times on tape where he just made some of the prettiest throws you'll see uh, from any quarterback in this class. Even Trevor Lawrence, like, he made some throws that I was like, wow, I, I don't know if Trevor Lawrence can, can even make that type of throw, you know. So Wilson has an insane amount of potential. Justin Fields is the same way in terms of tools and trait from a tools and traits perspective, but I think Wilson has a better arm out of the two. Um, Fields is a guy that can succeed early on. In my opinion, we, we know, I think we have a really good understanding of what his weaknesses are, his internal clock. Um, he can stare down on, um, his first read sometimes, even though I think that's just part of the offense. Um, he, he can have a little bit too much, too much confidence in his arm, just like, uh, Wilson does. Um, and one of the plays that I can recall was the first interception he threw against Indiana, um, that I've showed you a couple times that, you know, he's like, he should have thrown the ball as soon as he clears that second level defender. But he had too much confidence in that arm and threw it late, tried to fit it in a tight window that really wasn't there, and he threw a pick. So that's something he needs to work on. Um, he, he'll, there are times he'll, when things get a little bit tight and a little bit nasty in the pocket, he'll drop his eyes sometimes. Um, but I think I, I don't really have concerns there because I think that can be improved at the next level. Um, but overall, I think Fields is everything you want in, a, in today's uh, today's quarterback. He has the mobility and the athleticism to play in almost any scheme and any offensive system, though I think he would probably work better in a Kyle Shanahan-like offense, West Coast-style offense where he's running a lot of play action, where he's run like early on in his career where he can have easy throws, easy reads and whatnot, um, not having to think so much and let him develop like that. So, like, if he goes to um, Mike LaFleur's offense um, with the Jets, or he even goes to Carolina's offense with Joe Brady, you know, they those are guys that know and understand the quarterback's weaknesses and strengths, and they will accommodate to those strengths and weaknesses. Um, I think his arm talent is great. I don't think there's a throw he can't make. His accuracy is excellent. He has great field vision. Um, some people will say, oh, he, he stares on, on his first read a lot. He doesn't read the field well. That's false. He, he reads the field really well. Just it's part of the offense where his, his top options, which basically were Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, he was waiting for them to make a decision on their, um, on their route, on their option routes. They ran a lot of option routes at Ohio State. That's just their offense. That's just the way their offense has and will always be. Um, so I think that's why 
you would see on tape, Beals trying to wait or in a, in a way stare down his top target. Um, but I, I don't see really any concerns in that area. Uh, he throws a great anticipation. He's just, he's just a really good quarterback overall. Between the two quarterbacks, I would say Fields is better, and he did grade out better than Wilson. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, Fields had he got an early first round grade for me. Uh, well, Wilson got like a mid first round grade of sorts, um, mid, early mid first round grade. Um, I I don't fault anyone for having Wilson as QB one or QB two. Um, I will have some arguments about people that say, oh, Wilson ha- is QB one in this draft class. You know, uh, you look, you have a different set of eyes than a lot of us. That's fine. I don't care. It's nice to have that type of diversity when it comes to draft Twitter and draft analysis. Like everyone sees the game differently. So that's, that's the greatness of draft Twitter. But anyways, Fields is a better athlete, better runner than Wilson. Um, his mechanics are more polished. Um, in terms of arm talent, I would give Wilson the edge there. Um, and you can maybe make an argument that Wilson is more accurate than Fields. Um, but just from what I saw on tape, I think Fields was a lot more accurate on tape than given credit for. Um, if we're talking about potential and ceiling, I would give the edge to Wilson there because, to be quite frank with you, I think he has the highest ceiling of any quarterback in this draft class. And I, I think there are quite a few people that think that way. Um, just the arm talent, the tools he possesses. Like, he's raw in quite a few areas, and there are people that are either really like him and think he's a top five prospect in this draft class. They either think he's good and he's probably like a top 15 uh, prospect in this draft class, which is probably where he'll end up for me, um, probably in that top 15 range. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he finished or if he finished on my final board as a top 10 prospect, but um, and then there are also ones that don't think he's a first-round talent, that he's got a long ways to go to be a good quarterback. Um, and, you know, all that can be true. Um, but I think overall, Wilson has the highest ceiling and the most potential of any quarterback in this draft class. Um, I think he can succeed early on in the right in the right system. Um, you know, I if he goes to the Jets, I think he'll do fine. If he goes to Carolina, I think he'll do fine. I don't think he makes it past Carolina at eight if he's on the board. Like, that's how good he is. The the four for him in, in this draft is eighth overall to Carolina. I don't think he makes it past that. So that's just my opinion on that. Um, I plan on working on an article um, probably throughout the week. Uh, just going more in depth with some prospects I've evaluated over the last uh, week or so. Um, so the cornerbacks such as uh, Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan, um, I'll add in Justin Fields and Zach Wilson as well. Um, have a little bit of a scouting review uh, from prospects I've watched over the last week. And I'll do this probably either every week or every other week, um, just depending on if I have time or not, you know, but you know, very impressed with both quarterbacks. I think both will be successful in the NFL. 
Um, you know, um, between the two, I don't really fault anyone for having Wilson better than Fields. I don't fault anyone having Fields better than Wilson, you know. So right now, my top four quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, uh, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, in that order. So very a good group of quarterbacks at the top. I'm not looking forward to the, the rest of the class, to be quite frank with you. Like, it's just like, I'm not looking forward to seeing bad quarterback play. I'm not. Not saying Mac Jones is a bad quarterback. I'm not. But I would like to see better, you know? Like to see, I hope I get better next year with what looks like a really good quarterback class in 2022 from my eyes. But again, those are my thoughts on Wilson and Fields. Um, I know you have a couple prospects you've watched recently, um, including Pete Warner, uh, linebacker out of um, Ohio State. And I know you were impressed with this tape. Yeah, uh, I'll just weigh in real quick on kind of the, the Fields and, and Wilson debate. Um, you know, for me, I think the thing with Zach Wilson is that he has the most exciting tape of any quarterback in this class, you know, in terms of splash plays and whatnot. So I feel like a lot of people are weighing that more heavily, I think, than, you know, kind of what they in terms of what we were supposed to be looking for in quarterback play. Right. So I think that's kind of what's making him so popular among uh draft Twitter is that. He makes those exciting plays that you want to see. Like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields can do those same things, you know, and, and make those exciting plays, but they're more focused on doing the, have those consistencies on a down to down basis. Plus they, they are playing with better athletes in terms of who people who can create separation and will be playing at the next level while uh, Zach Wilson, there's going to be some guys on this offense that don't even get an NFL look. You know, it's just kind of the nature of uh, where they play that. So I definitely understand why people will want him as QB1 or QB2 uh, in terms of, you know, what he brings to the table, the excitement, you know, kind of the things he does out, out of structure. And then, you know, I think that kind of in not comparing their play styles at all, but I think kind of of what that has to do with is, what Mahomes did a couple of years ago coming out of college and how people missed on him. They don't want to miss on that type of talent again, in terms of who people who can uh, players who can uh, have those amazing plays out of structure and make those wacky wild plays. So I think that's, that kind of plays in into the evaluation as well. I, I will say this. I, I've seen people say he's, he looks like Patrick Mahomes 2.0. I don't like to compare any quarterback any upcoming quarterback from an NFL draft to Patrick Mahomes. I, I just don't. Even if it's even if you think his play style is similar to Mahomes, which in some instances, yes, it's I just think, you know, Mahomes is just a different player than everyone else. It, it's just like it seems unfair to have to set some sort of expectation of even if it's just a play style comparison. It, it just feels like an unfair comparison and an unfair expectation that people expect, okay, this guy can be the next Mahomes, you know? Mahomes is just different than any other quarterback. I, I, I just, I don't feel comfortable comparing anyone to Patrick Mahomes until I see on tape, okay, this guy can definitely be Patrick Mahomes 2.0, like with confidence. But right, I just don't see any quarterback in this draft class that I would say, okay, I have confidence this is going to be the next Patrick Mahomes. I just, I just don't see that. 
I just, I just yeah. don't feel like that brain. Any of the quarterback prospects, even um, Zach Wilson, who has all these flash plays and looks like, oh, he's Mormon Mahomes, Mormon Manziel. If you make that Mormon Manziel comparison, get get the hell out. No, no, he is not Mormon Mahomes. He is not Johnny Johnny Manziel playing at BYU. He is he's Zach Wilson. He is Zach Wilson. I, yeah. I'm not going to force a comp on anyone like that. Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to give quick thoughts about that. Uh, I have Justin Fields as my QB2 at this point. I just like the consistency he brings on a down-to-down basis. I know a lot of people uh, were trying to dock. You know, he doesn't have great pocket presence. You know, holds on to the ball too much. But as we already debunked, it's based on their concepts at Ohio State. So I'm really not too worried about that uh, in, in terms of uh, negatives. So like I said, I, I definitely understand why people want to give Zach Wilson that QB one or QB two crown. Uh, just for me, I don't see it that way. You know, I, I see the flash plays. I see what he does and I, I have no issues about how you rank him somewhere in the top four. If you want him at QB one, uh, go for it. You know, to me, I really think it depends on, uh, scheme fit, you know, and, and getting him in the right scheme and, and surrounding him with pieces that will help him be successful will be the most important part. And that's for any quarterback, uh, any quarterback in this class. But, uh, for Zach Wilson, you, it's going to take some time to develop. You know, he, he can't do some of the plays he did in college and get away with it. He's going to do that in, in the NFL and it's going to be costly. He's going to, you know, have turnovers or make mistakes, but he's still an exciting player and he's definitely warranted as a top 10 player in this class. So I, I have no issue, uh, you know, with how people rank him. Uh, but getting into uh, a player that I watched last night, Pete Warner, and I know there are varying opinions on what he brings to the table uh, in terms of athletic ability, coverage ability, uh, the whole nine. I came away impressed with him. Um, I, while I don't think he's going to be a top two round pick, I think he's he'd be a good value pick in the third or fourth round. Um, what I liked about him is, first of all, he's fantastic in coverage. I've seen people have takes that, you know, He's too grabby with tight ends. He doesn't, he has stiff hips, but all of that I didn't see on tape. I saw someone that navigates the zone really well, uh, communicates people coming through his zone, coming out of his zone. He car- he carries surprisingly the third receiver on those vertical routes and crosser routes really well. He stays in their hip pocket. Uh, you rarely see a big play happen like because of him. And he, he's been in those one-on-one situations, especially on tight ends. He's held his own, you know, especially in the Indiana game, uh, the Clemson game as well, uh, even some, to some degree, the Alabama game. You know, I, I, and a lot of people were like, I didn't see it with him in coverage. I think it, it just comes down to understanding what coverage he was in. Right. And he, he was in a lot of cover two looks, a, co- a lot of cover three looks, uh, a lot of matchup zone looks that, you know, Ohio State runs a, a, a bevy of different uh, coverages and whatnot. But to me. He looked like a player that you want to have on the field on those third downs because you can isolate him on tight ends. You can isolate him on not necessarily fast slot receivers, but receivers who have decent speed. He's able to keep up. So for me, I see the coverage ability with him. Uh, some concerns I have, though, he's he's OK in run coverage. But when you know teams are running zone, running power, uh, he's a slow reactor. In, in terms of uh, those cutback lanes and filling his holes and lanes uh, on the backside B and C gaps, 
uh, which allows for creases to open up. And I saw a lot of times against Clemson, against Alabama specifically, where there were the there are those backside cutback lanes and he was too slow to react and he allowed Najee Harris to get 10, 15 chunk yards. Same with so, ETN. So do you think he's more of a third down linebacker in a sense? Because he's still he doesn't he's a little raw in terms of processing um cutback lanes and whatnot, like being able to process zone and power runs. Yes, for me, I think right now if you know Depending on where he gets drafted, I think immediately, first of all, he's going to be a good coverage uh, player in terms of uh, special teams. He's going to be a really good and valuable piece on special teams, in my opinion. Uh, he has a straight line speed as well as the awareness and kind of understanding. So for me, I see the cerebral kind of everything that he brings to the table in terms of instinctual, you know, can can make plays. And really on those outside runs is where he makes a lot of his run plays because he can just fly down, you know, go and make the tackle. But when he has to process what the, you know, the offense is doing, especially against RPOs and, uh, you know, motions, they kind of fool him. He doesn't trust his eyes and his keys. And that allows for those zone plays and, like I said, power plays to leave him a little bit vulnerable on the field. So I do see him as kind of a, a sub package linebacker at this point. Uh, on third downs specifically, I think he kind of has that specialization at this point, but uh, I think he can develop into a three down back. Uh, I would like to see him put on a little bit more weight. He looks a little bit light on film. Um, I think he, I, I'm not sure exactly what his measurables were in, time, in terms of uh, weight and size and whatnot, but uh, he looked a little light to me on film. I think he could be a little bit more aggressive at the point of attack when, you know, those guards are, are coming up to second level and, getting hands on and, and, you know, avoiding the blocks because when it seems like when guards get a hold of him, uh, he has a hard time, you know, uh, getting away from them. So I definitely want to see him improve in those areas. But in terms of really in, in especially in coverage, you know, he can play all the, all the different coverages, cover three, cover two, man, uh, he can do a, a lot and he brings a lot of versatility to your scheme. So, you can put them on running backs. You can put them on tight ends. Uh, in some degree, you can put them on uh, slot receivers because there, like I said, there are times he does carry slot receivers going vertical pretty well as well. Uh, and I do also worry about sometimes in the boundary situation, uh, he is susceptible to, uh, you know, vertical plays because he's sitting on those short routes, slants, you know, comebacks, curls. So he's susceptible to double moves and, and, you know, uh, really trying to keep up with, uh, guys who, you know, get kind of get that running start and, you know, he doesn't get hands on them within the first couple yards. So there are some things to like about him. Uh, I don't, I don't see him as really a top six, top seven linebacker in this class, more of a top 10, uh, you know, just based on this coverage ability and whatnot. Uh, he doesn't really have crazy, crazy traits, you know, in terms of, you know, he's not a freak athlete. You know, he's not someone that's going to blow you away with measurables or, or length or anything. But he's just a really solid football player. And in a game where you really need linebackers to cover, he can do so. So I like what I see from him. I'll probably give him a third or fourth round uh, grade at this point. I'm going to finalize my uh, scouting report on him tonight. But, yeah, I, I, I like a lot of what I see from him. I don't really see stiff hips from him, like I said, in coverage. Uh, like I've seen other people talk about. And I see a lot of Ohio State fans glad that he left. 
But I think next year when they're playing against those good teams, he's going to be missed in terms of his versatility and, and what he was able to do and essentially erasing tight ends because every game I've watched, I've barely seen a tight end get a catch. You know, from Pat Fryermuth to uh, Peyton Hendershot for Indiana to Alabama's tight ends to Clemson's tight ends, they really didn't do make an impact on the game, and that's largely due to him. So I'm very impressed with him. Uh, I think he's someone that's valuable and, and someone that you definitely should take a look at. Uh, and a lot of people should take a, a close look at and, you know, watch him kind of, I watched him kind of really get comfortable in coverage more so over time. Uh, Penn State game, he definitely got sucked into those run play, run play action and those run fakes and those jet sweep fakes. But later in the season, he really was better with eye discipline and understanding it's just eye candy and just focus on your keys. So. Like I said, third, fourth round player for me, but very impressed with what I saw and feel from him. I think, I think when people, when some people have said like, oh, he has stiff hips, he's uh, all that, I think they're mistaking Pete Warner for Tuck Borland because the dude can't move. We saw that at the senior bowl. I'm like, oh, oof, that that was not ready to watch, um, you know, and folks. If you want to see these scouting reports from Devin Jackson, go to see, go to com. He's got all of his scouting reports right there uh, to show the world, give his opinions on draft prospects and whatnot. He's not a Steelers fan, but it's a good place to, you know, share your content and whatnot. Um, Devin, he's still writing for us here at bluechipscouting.com. We, he's not going anywhere. We got a great thing going on here. We're just a bunch of dumbasses on draft Twitter, doing a great job um, at bluechipsguy.com. So um, shout out to Fusifu. Um, I know taking shots here, but honestly, I don't, I don't care. I don't really care. I don't. Um, got something to reveal here real quick before we end the show. We have a very special guest coming on for Friday's um, episode, Thursday's recording. Joe Marino of the draft network is joining us. For, Friday, for Thursday's recording and Friday's episode, we're, we're super excited to have him. I've known Joe for quite a while. Um, we've met up at Panthers training camp whenever, um, whenever, you know, if the Bills were doing a joint practice with the Panthers in Spartanburg or, um, you know, just to watch a Panthers practice. Um, we missed doing that this past year. Um, he and I have, were, um, I look up to him as a mentor. Um, he's he's just a phenomenal draft analyst, um, one of the best out there. Um, and we're super excited to have him on and also and someone that I would consider, of course, like I said, a mentor um, and someone that brings great knowledge. He's also a big Bills fan. So I give him shit for, you know, wide right, all that, some of the bad moments, Stevie Johnson's horrific drop years ago. I, I love giving him a hard time. I love Joe. He's amazing. Um, can't wait to have him on the show um, for Thursday's recording, Friday's episode. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys Thursday with Joe Marino and Deva Jackson. Peace.